Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 102 with my friend, John Bates. I met John Bates, or Bader, as most of you probably know him, if you know him, uh, when I was working at a restaurant. So many people like that, right? And I was so happy to catch up with him. He's an artist in New York City and has really some amazing stories. And I'm not going to hold off from you guys listening to those stories. I'm going to let you get to it. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, it's coming. Are you ready? Okay. Here's my interview with John Bates. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my I, I wanted to talk to you for a while because, uh, you know, I just, I know you as a guy I worked with at a restaurant and, and an artist. And like, I think when you get into like the nitty gritty of who you are outside of like what you share via social media, I think I'm, I'm kind of in the dark there. So, um, I think, I think a lot of people are though. Yeah. But well, then I'd like to get into that too. <laughs> yeah. I think what I put on social media is, kind of part truth kind of part wishful thinking kind of part um who knows actually i try to be as random as possible but at the same time pretty reserved in myself yeah uh, well i uh, but also pretty vocal at the same time i yeah. don't think a lot of people really know but that's fine i don't know i usually start out with how i know people and even though we technically went to the same schools I didn't really know you until we worked together at the famous Joe's Crab Shack. Uh, oh my God, yes. And that's kind of where that I met you. Like, I don't even think we see the Crab Shack itself takes back so many memories because I think that was one of the funnest restaurants I think I've ever worked in. Not only based on what it was all about of just being your own self, but I think the people that we worked with was just a collection of just random personalities that clicked on so many levels that brought out the very best in you and the very best in everybody. It was just probably one of the funnest times of my life, really. I, I think as a as an era of not only working at the restaurant, but just in general, like I remember vividly as a person, like the most greatest times of my life because of that place. Well, you're in your mid-20s. Yeah, your yeah, frontal early, lobe was finally fully yeah, developed. Yeah, where there was kind of rules, but there wasn't really rules. Like I have many stories of like because I've worked there, I got out of a lot of uh, things that I probably got and should have gotten in trouble for. Actually, <laughs> I remember coming home one night, going to TGI Fridays actually after work. I don't know if you're a part of that crew. After I, getting I, out of work, sometimes crap uh, going over to TGI Fridays and you know, till one or two in the morning, but coming home and I actually got pulled over one night and he let me go because I work at that Joe's Crab Shack. Wow. It was really strange. He's like, well, where are you coming from? Oh, TJ Fridays. Well, where are you going? Uh, going home. Okay. You're good. And it's like, wait, you well, you know that I've been drinking, right? Oh yeah, you're fine. Just I'll follow you to the dirt road and you're fine. And he said, like, John, you're white, right? Okay. We're good here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That was kind of it too. Like, oh, I, I see that white privilege you have i'll follow you actually it's like wait are you sure about this yeah so i'm already intrigued by the the perception here right because so for you your mid-20s it's it was a super fun restaurant to work at um like it fit me very well because i'm a fucking ham so <laughs> they're like you need to get on chairs and dance and shit and i'm like all right um i'm down with that and there were like amazing people working there but for me my older brother worked there for much longer than I ever did. And so I was like Adam's little brother yeah. when I was there to a lot of people. And then on top of that, I met uh, Jenna, who then I like dated. And then that like ended poorly. <laughs> and so I. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So, the, yeah, See, I, I remember. we all tie it together weird, differently. And uh, I think of it as one of the most strict places I worked at because of a couple of the managers who were like military oh, style with how you had to like do yeah i remember the head chef that was actually one of the worst chef has uh head chefs i've worked with because of how militant he was yeah. and i remember i mentioned something to him about that i was like you're meaner than my mom and even though my mom's not mean but i i had to like <laughs> put him in place a little bit i was like you're, you're yelling at us because we didn't fill the ranch up all the way like who cares man this is the crap shack yeah you know 
But I mean, like you just uh, mentioned, like how everybody kind of grouped together without like knowing each other. Yeah. That was, uh, I think, one of the coolest parts was like meeting after work and just regrouping in a in a different way. Yeah. Like I met your brother in a different way because of that. I met Jenna in a different way at her, her apartment because of that. I met you and, and Nick McIntosh and yeah. everybody was just, you know, a little bit different out of work, yeah. you know, more relaxed. At work, we were kind of putting on a stage, which was strange because at that time I had a huge stage fright. But um, after I went there for my birthday one day and I was like, I could work here. I could just do my own thing and make money. And we made crazy good money. So it was like, yeah, I could dance on tables. That's fine. Yeah. Who cares? That's what they're here for. Then you got to paint and a big crab mural in your corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I forgot about that. You know, what? I went there. Uh, and they painted over it. Oh, what a bunch of dicks. Like, yeah, I don't <laughs> even have a picture of it. I went in there one day, I forget why, but um, uh, they painted over it. I was like, are you kidding? And I was like, oh, yeah. was it not that good? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's what a, what, that, what a bummer. And it's funny because if there were any pictures, they're probably fucking shellacked to a table somewhere because that's just how oh, they yeah, did yeah, it. Yeah, 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 I forgot about that. Covered up in the ceiling with dust yeah. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, other than that, I want, I'm going to go back in time be, before I knew you. Um, did you grow up in, like, born raised Michigan? Yes, I was actually uh, born in Pontiac, and from, which is funny because I, from past episodes of yours, I was also born in St. Joe's. <laughs> like it's, the bridge. It's a running theme, yeah. Like yeah, it really <laughs> is. That's a popular hospital to be born, I guess. You know? So funny. Uh, uh, do you have siblings? I do. Yes. I have an older sister who is here in New York in Long Island. She's probably like an hour and a half okay. out east. How much older um, is she? I do. I'm like a year and a half. Oh, okay. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's the oldest. I'm kind of in the middle. My younger brother, who is 30 minutes away from me, um, he also grew up where, you know, the same kind of time frame of me, but he came to New York uh, way earlier than I did. Okay. Um, then I also have a younger sister as well. She's still in Michigan. Okay. So four of you total? Yeah, four I of had, us. I um, had no idea. <laughs> same, mother, same mother, different fathers. So okay. my younger brother and my younger sister have a different father. But you and your older sister, same parents? We have the same mother, but different father. The okay. father is actually not in the picture anymore. Okay. Well, yeah, let's break that down real quick. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, of course, I know that all sounds confusing so, well, if you just hear it for the first time. I, I'm assuming then your your mom has your sister, and then uh, something happens with that relationship or a divorce or something, and then next person comes along and you come along. Is that... No, <laughs> no. Let's uh, backtrack. That's okay. uh, my, my mom... And my real dad had my sister and myself. Okay. And through all of that, they got divorced and they tried to do the split custody. But we, me and my sister weren't all about that. So we were just not, we decided to stay with my mom. My, uh, my real dad was actually not the best of person. Uh, to sum that up, he was very, I would say, not only verbally abusive, but he was just he was very controlling. So as a young kid, we were kind of like, you know, we don't want to be around this. We don't even know what this is. You know, you know, we want you to be cool, but you're not. So we decided to stay with my mom. And, you know, that happened at the age of, if I remember, like 11. When your parents myself. divorced? No, when actually the last time I seen him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think they divorced way when I was like three or four, maybe okay. even five. Yeah, I was four. If five. I can remember right. It's been so long ago. So you haven't seen your birth dad since you were 11? Yeah. Wow. Do you know like anything about him now that you're an adult? No, no. Actually, not even even the slightest. No, the last time I actually was curious was like uh, maybe three or four years ago. I was on Facebook trying to Google him and I found him. And I was like, what a douche. <laughs> <laughs> you know, by the look of him, I was like, just quick memories. I was like, ah, so I just closed the tab. And I was like, yeah. I have no desire to reach out to him. Like he also did the same thing where he had no desire to reach back out to us. It was kind of like, oh, all right, well, feelings, feelings mutual. So, so at that same time, my mother was also dating my current father now, which is my stepdad. And 
he stepped right in and just knocked it out of the park. Like he's an amazing man. He does everything right. He's, you know, one of my best friends. And he just kind of like stepped in and played that role. You know, I actually do call him my dad. So yeah. it's, it's it, it, it works out, you know, like really well that way, you know. How old are you when your mom remarries? Uh, this was almost the first year where we moved to Clarkston. So I want to say I was uh, 14. I want to okay. say 14. So she I'm was guessing. she was on her own for a decade or so with you guys. Yeah, yeah, she was. Okay. But at the same time, um uh she was dating him. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, and this yeah. all happened actually in Detroit. I actually grew up in Detroit. Ah. Even though I was That's born why you're so Pontiac. fucking cool. See? It's I know, right? Grew up in the this D. is the northwest side of Six <laughs> Mile right here, actually. Nice. There's nothing, there's nothing related to Detroit to me. I don't know. <laughs> you uh are you in Detroit until you go to high school? Uh kind of. No, no, actually no. Let me uh let me remember. No, I went um I grew up in Detroit like junior high. Okay. Um, and I moved to Detroit in 1993, and I did one year in Sashabaugh. Okay. And then we went to the new high school, or the old high school, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. you call it. The old high school, whatever, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, did your stepdad come in and playing such a huge role, like, as a father figure, did that really dampen any any thoughts of reaching out to your dad like is that the reason you think you're so fine with that is because you had somebody in that place that you weren't really like i don't need to find this so. other person i think so because okay. i don't i think about it often like it, how would i would be without that male grown-up father figure in my life yeah like and he was there so it was kind of like when my real dad stepped out of the picture he was already there or he was just stepping in. So it was kind of like, and he didn't play that big parent role as far as like, you can't do this. You can't do that. He was more like that cool. He wasn't the disciplinarian. No, no. Yeah. And he's still not. He's yeah. kind of like, Oh, just listen to your mother. She knows best. So it's kind of like, but he, like we, we found that bond of being like similar interests. And we found like, you know, he, he played that cool role of just looking up to. Yeah. And learning from him, basically, and not the authority so there's, of father figure. There's got to be a big age difference then between you and your younger siblings, I'm guessing. Yeah, my brother is, oh, God, forgive me. I don't even know how old he is. He's <laughs> mid-30s. He's going he's gonna to kill me. I have a horrible thing with age and birthdays and stuff like that. But um, he's low to middle 30s. Okay. My younger sister's in her 20s. There's there's a little bit of gap, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's just it's funny to me that all of you just ended up in New York. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're it's funny because we always say this all the time. Like we're just waiting on my parents to come here. We're always we're still waiting on my younger sister, and that's literally it. That's funny. Like my my older sister in Long Island, she came out here first because of um, I believe it's her her husband right now, and she also had a job, so she came out here first. Then my brother came out here for a job. He was second. And then I came out here just out of the whim, basically. Yeah. And that was like yeah, three remember, and a half years ago. I remember when you moved. Yeah, that was like like I was like trying to buy some stuff off you before you left. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I remember that. Actually, you have some of my favorite pieces. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> Lamb family is a big fan of, of John Bates. Oh, my God. You guys really are. I, I owe you so much, man. You Between <laughs> you and all. your brother, man, you guys are one of my favorite people. Not at all. I one love of my, it. Uh, just make good shit. As long as you make good shit, it's fine. Pieces too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I, guys both have some of my favorite pieces, so. Well, thank you yeah, for that. There's some of mine. I, yeah. Uh, was it Music in the City? Is that the name of that? Yeah, you have yeah. Music in the City, and, and I believe you had Free to Be Free. Yeah, free to Be Free. The one in the yeah. cage, right? Yeah. 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 And your brother has a few larger paintings on the canvas. So. Yeah, I saw this when I was down in Texas, which feels like a lifetime ago because COVID's been going on for nine years, right? Um. <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's crazy uh so you mentioned at the beginning just being kind of like shy and reserved especially pre-joe's crab shack 
what was what was yeah. childhood teenage years like high school what was that like for you any any particular events stick out to you um, see i guess to go back into detroit see i grew up the one of two people in a black school i was the one mm-hmm. one white person in the white school uh other than the other uh female that um that went there so it was kind of like when i was there i was mildly bullied or mildly picked on and didn't know my place especially at that age um so the last year i was there i was actually starting to get my name out as who i was and everybody loved me by the time you know it was time for me to move to clarkston it was kind of like oh crap you know everybody loves me now so then i come to uh, Clarkston and Sashaball starting all over. You know, nobody knows me. And then I start going to Sashaball and I get mildly bullied and picked on because nobody knows me. Everybody has their clicks and everything. Yeah. So it was kind of like a transition into going back to being reserved and being quiet and, you know, just not talking, just being shy. Yeah. I mean, of course, that eventually through age and experience that I ventured off of that. But I think, you know, coming to Clarkston, it, it, it just kept me at that, I don't want to talk to anybody stage. I wonder if, um, do you think that played a role, like growing up in Detroit, like, you know, I talked to a lot of people and sorry for everyone else around the country that didn't grow up in Michigan, but I talked to a lot of people that grew up in this area. <laughs> and, you know, this area is like famously like an affluent white area. And I wonder if that had any effect on your um your openness to other lifestyles and cultures by having some of your formative years where you're a minority yeah yeah it kind of puts things in perspective as far as like i mean especially now i see the difference on the difference between growing up in clarkston where there's a low percentage of minorities and stuff like that and seeing the i I don't know the split stage of things yeah i mean it it it, it put a it, it makes me question a lot of things, even to this day. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right with that. It's good to ask questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Every day, all the time. <laughs> so the the I'm guessing the bullying and whatnot kind of made you reserved and, and quiet for yeah, most I of mean, school. Yeah, I mean, at the time, like, especially, like, especially in Detroit. I mean, they it, it's, a different, it's a whole different atmosphere, especially at that age of, you know, walking to the bus stop and being, you know, picked on with snowballs. I think it's just children doing children's stuff. But, you know, they made it known that I was not welcome. But that was fine, though. I think that also built character as far as, you know, especially who I am today. Um, And especially where I live today. It's a good learning experience to have lived that. Yeah. But like I said, a transition into Clarkston, especially not knowing anybody and now moving to new york especially not knowing anybody i mean there's there's a lot of stages in life that i've learned that it actually helps to go through that okay in in a strange way yeah well i was just i mean i talk about it all the time on here that it's i I think it's so important to like immerse yourself in a culture that is outside of your comfort zone and what you're used to especially if you've like only lived and grown up in this one area of you know wherever that is even if it's like maybe yes, you grew up like poor in uh you know mixed neighborhood well then maybe i don't know spend a spend a month <laughs> in a white yeah, neighborhood that's part of it like... too that's actually part of it too like in detroit uh we were actually on the government assistance kind of like funding yeah um we had stuff delivered to the house we had you know my mom had food stamps and stuff like that so it was like and you know honestly i wouldn't change it for the world cause yeah. I, 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 I grew up poor, um, so I understand a lot of things a little bit differently and better. And when we moved to Clarkston, which is predominantly not so much a wealthy community, but wealthier, I should say, um, we were still poor when we moved there. So it was kind of like still seeing a large group of people have money. And it's like I've always thought that in the back of my mind of like, oh, well, I'm still the poor person of the group. And, you know, I'm you yeah. know still struggling while watching everybody with, you know, brand new cars and, you know, going to spring breaks while I'm staying at home working, trying to pay for that spring break. And 
I, I'm curious what role, like looking back now, I mean, you're, uh, I don't know what your, what your definition of success is, but you're, I'll say you're a successful artist in my eyes. <laughs> and Well, thank you. I don't, I don't see that. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. Artist. Yeah, I mean, but I look at you right now, you know, you guys can't see this because you're listening to this, but he, you're surrounded by by your artwork there in, in the room you're in. Um, I have. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is actually my studio behind yeah. me. Um, I have um, here in New York, we are unfortunate to have very small, tiny living environments yeah. based on New York City. <laughs> We're trying to fit like 10 million people in this tiny place. so Everybody lives in a yeah. box basically but i'm very fortunate to live where i do and i have a very fortunate bedroom um behind me is actually my studio where i take all my pictures of my artwork and do my artwork in the corner and on the other side of my my screen is you know my living space basically it's like right. a small studio actually it's really yeah. cool well i'm curious because when you think about being an artist now you're out in new york you're you're like continuing to follow this passion you have what role does art play growing up like before you like while you're in school are you one of the people that you know by senior year high school five-year classes or art classes like what does that look like no actually to be honest that's funny no i actually hated art in high school <laughs> i really did I, I i it was so it was ordinary and it was basic and it, it was nothing i ever wanted to do and it was like I think I even got like the highest to C minus. I was like, eh, I'm just going to sleep. Yeah. It was, but it played a role because I mean, all through high school, I was either doing my best art outside of school or trying to figure out how to actually make something out of it. You know, it is like in me still to this day, I don't know the best thing about business, but like in high school, I was trying to figure out how can I get rid of my art? I have a lot of art. How do I get rid of it? People like it and vice versa. And it was just, it played a role based on, um, you know, what to do with it, basically. Yeah. And I had a teacher, I think it was uh, Mr. Sabag, Paul Sabag. He was like, you know, go to OTC. And that's where everybody does. They go to the tech center and they, you know, go to Chris Miner's class. I heard from, you know, the Bridgewater podcast. Nice. He said, that's what we do. And <laughs> half of the day, you know fooling around in a three-hour art class and it was like one of the coolest experiences because in that room you have every option to become better of yourself basically and you meet connections and you just build as as a whole basically as your own individual self and yeah well outside i of... think sorry go ahead oh no no i was just saying as a um as an artist, I think that was one of the coolest things to still be in high school and have an art class like that. Yeah. To open the door to different possibilities of where to go after high school and, you know, what to do with certain materials and stuff like that. So, well, when you take it out of the educational box, what role did it play for you? Like, was it a form of therapy? Was it just something you did when you were yeah, bored? Like, God, it still is, yeah. Yeah. It still is. I think a lot of I would say 70 to 80% of all of my artwork comes from the moment of just finding Zen within myself, just getting down. I think a lot of people write, a lot of people jog. Yeah. For me, it's just turning to paper, turning to canvas, doing something art related, trying to get whatever vision is in my mind for other people to see, whether it's on a t-shirt or, you know, on canvas or whatever have you. I think it's just, something to get my thoughts out in the open and then move on from it. Nice. Whether yeah. it's dark, or maybe it's, you know, sad or depressing or whatever the case may be. It's up to the viewer to view, you know, whatever, but I think it's a good form of therapy for me. Um, it started out as just hobby, of course, but um, then it, I think the more I uh, transitioned more into a professional artist, it was just more of just personal therapy yeah. and how I can, build myself from that well i want to i want to try to use art and your artwork and like that journey kind of as a as a foundation for following a timeline do you recall when you or maybe you're not there yet when you're comfortable calling yourself an artist or a painter or any, um, anything uh, like that and where the, like does that label make you feel icky <laughs> and in Oh man, in an honest statement, I think every other month I hate doing art. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, but I like, I don't know. I would say I like calling myself an artist because I do this all the time. Yeah. Um, but I put it down every other month because it's frustrating as an artist to not do what you want to do or not be good enough to what you want to do. So that's like, I find myself saying, you know what, I'm not an artist. Then something will hit me in my brain and I'll go, you know what, I'm an artist today. And I'll be an artist and I'll just knock it out of the park. And the next time and I'm like, you know what? I don't like what I'm doing. I'm not an artist. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And this, it's all the time. It's a juggle with my mind for the last 25 years. Yeah. Like, am I an artist? No, I'm not an artist. I'm well, not let me, artist let me pose all. a, let me pose a question to you. So you're, yeah. let's say you're out of high school, you're waiting tables uh, and somebody says, Oh, what do you do? Do you answer? Oh, I wait tables. Or do you answer? Oh, I, I, I'm an artist. Or, yeah, uh, I'm an artist. Yeah. You even know, even back then, do you did that? Did that? Yeah, yeah, even back then. Well, and, fuck you, you too. Know, then, I, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even now, when I'm networking out here in New York or trying to, at least, it's like, well, what do you do? And it's like, well, I'm an artist. Yeah. I don't tell people like my actual real job, which is also really cool. But it's like, I just tell people I'm an artist because I want to. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to like. Yeah do my nine to five i'm out here to be an artist so hopefully i'm catching that right person that, that i'm telling i'm an artist yeah okay I'm, yeah i was just curious but okay so you mentioned um it, it, goes, it definitely goes back and forth and i think that's a um um an insecurity in myself because i know there's so many other great artists so it's like am i an artist because yeah. there's a million people better than me but yeah, I'm an artist. That's, today. that's the imposter syndrome talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know you probably do that with musicians and writers and all that yeah. stuff. It's just, I am my own worst critic. I know that. That's yeah. why you don't see enough of my art because it's literally filling the walls of my room right now. <laughs> I'm not happy with them quite yet. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you mentioned that college wasn't uh, on the radar. What what happens after high school? What what do you end up doing? Uh, after high school, of course, I waited tables. Um, that was my main goal because the money was really good. Uh, but I remember the only uh, do you, did you hear the I, I I lived in the haunted house. Did you remember that? No, I don't think I know this. Oh at my all. god, are you so the curious. only person in Clarkson that never knew about that house? You'd be surprised at what yeah. I don't know. Yeah, what, so. it, 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 if it's okay to drop names, you can yeah edit go nuts. This out, but um, I lived with Paul Rotash. Marcy Swims, Kelly Jackson, and Leslie Grace. Okay. Um, Kelly's dad got a house that he was remodeling and everything. We all lived in that house after high school, and turns out it wasn't a friendly house. We have a, a whole list of stories that happened in that house since the day we moved in. I actually wrote a book on it, to be honest. Uh, uh, so that was my after high school when I was waiting tables. I believe I was at either stir crazy or joe's crap shack it was right at that same time of the merger right after i left stir crazy i went to uh joe's crap shack i lived oh, in that so house funny. and it became like an attraction where everybody wanted to come over where was and, this house at um it was on the corner of andersonville and dixie okay and the history of that house is actually matches up to a lot of the some of the haunts that happened but i did a lot of research on the house went through some old deeds and everything and turns out that the house was actually the one of the first house uh houses to be built in waterford by two gentlemen of like what was their names alcobald phillips and elpheus williams if i got that right both murderers um, yeah oh my god I'll, I'll send you this book i oh, mean i'm please trying to do. rewrite it please. i'm trying to rewrite it i'm actually i've, I've been presented with the option of maybe even doing my own little podcast just to get it out there yeah i don't know i don't know it's, it's up in the like air it. i want to finish it i really want to finish it because i believe that it's terrifying to be honest with you if you ever talk to the bridgewaters again there's some stories that they have from the house nice well if it's ever something you want to pursue you let me know because i uh <laughs> I, I yeah, am well yeah. versed in podcasting. If you if you ever oh want to pursue God, that's, that, that's... I'd be so curious. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. The sun is out. Hopefully, the rain the rain is here. But you know, it's bringing some beautiful spring weather. And I don't know about you, but I am excited to get back out there 
and smell some fresh cut grass, get out on the lake and kayak. I am missing everything I did in warmer weather. Now that I can finally do that, I'm going to throw some well-being beers right in their uh, cooler. You know, take the cooler with me. Throw it in my crotch and I pull a beer out when I'm in the middle of the lake. Is it a real beer? Yes, it is. It's also non-alcoholic. And Wellbeing Brewing has a bunch of delicious beers and CBD waters that you can get for a discount when you use the code FRIENDREQUEST. Head over to wellbeingbrewing.com. Use FRIENDREQUEST to save 10% on your order of some of the best non-alcoholic beers out there, as well as CBD waters. It's all very tasty, and I highly recommend it. You could probably find reviews that I've done of their products where I highly recommend it too. That's very good. So head on over wellbeingbrewing.com, use code FRIENDREQUEST, and save yourself 10%. All right, back to the interview. Uh, I did, um, going back on the college thing, I did not go to art school, but I did go to OCC. Yeah. Um, in Auburn Hills, I did take, a, I think, about two years worth of just classes, just random classes, just curiosity just learning stuff i didn't do anything art related but it was kind of just basic knowledge yeah i never finished college but just kind of i wanted to get some uh, general knowledge out of the way and then i think what happened was like i started working for a friend with good pay and i just kind of never went back to college yeah i don't blame you and that's i uh i didn't go to what got a hold of me and i was like all right well yeah i guess i'll just stay with this job I think that was one of the things why I never went to school because I was going to go to uh, a few art schools in Michigan and one in Pittsburgh. And there was either one here in New York a yeah. long, long time ago. And I'm looking at the prices going, eh, we, I can never afford this. Yeah, and it was just immediately discouraging. So yeah. that's one of the main reasons why I never went. And I kind of wish I would have found a way to go because my art knowledge is a little bit behind. I wish I was, you know, a little bit more knowledgeable yeah. and more up to date and current with everything that's, you know, going on, especially the computer art. It's kind of like I'm a late bloomer in that. So that's, and I'm just now opening that door into that field. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm curious now, and this is, this will be a fun tangent. Um, cause as like an, as an artist yourself, I'm, I'm wondering about this cause you just mentioned it, but, and I get the computer thing. Cause yeah, that definitely, I mean, I think about all the people, I think it was my graduating class and then everyone prior to me like that took photography classes and stuff. And then like the next year it was like, now it's digital. Sorry. Fuck off. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, when you think about um, you just mentioned like knowing what's going on with art and everything. And I'm wondering as, as an artist, like as you just celebrated your 43rd birthday, right? You're you're yeah. you've been making artwork as long as you can remember. You've been selling it for a few decades now, right? <laughs> like it's a, yeah, yeah. so I'm wondering how important you think stuff like that is like the knowledge of, of art. Cause I think of stuff like art history and I specifically remember, and I think I still hold true personally to this. That like, I don't care. Like I, I can draw and oh paint God, and yes. use whatever I methods either. I want. I don't really need to know. Yes, I, did. <laughs> I don't either. It's funny. It's so funny. You mentioned that because I remember my first class ever in OCC was art history and I walked out within 30 minutes and I never went back I dropped out I because of art history I don't care well so what do you don't. what do you want to know that what do you what do you are you talking about specifically look, only the computer generate like CGI type yeah, stuff yeah yeah it feels like why well, it almost feels like I'm 10 years behind of the computer knowledge of what artists are doing on the computers like okay. as far as like the templates and the programs yeah. the photoshops illustrators I'm reopening that door to push myself to learn that because that's what's current. That's what you have to do now. Not everything is on paper anymore. Not everything's the whole fine arts of just canvas. You know, yeah. as an artist, I have to revamp myself to try to stay up with the times of what's current. And the majority of it is actually on the computer where you're just doing a lot of the finer details or you're just making, you know, the, the branding logos and stuff like that. Yeah on these computer programs within 30 minutes rather than three days you know you can just knock it out of the park in no time so it's kind of a uh the self-discipline of just sitting down and catching back up to everything that's current okay yeah i was i was just curious about that because uh at first i thought you meant you wanted to like i want to i want to know like you know how art's done i'm like well hold on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no that too i mean i mean there's a lot of methods out there like oil paints that i know nothing about and yeah. if i knew it i'd probably 
like it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and like I said earlier, there's a lot of great artists out there that have different methods than I do that do them a little bit better than I do. And I would like to learn a little bit more. I mean, with art, there's always something to learn. Yeah. And as a whole, I think I'm a little bit behind, but it doesn't push me. It doesn't stop me from just keep going and keep going, keep going and trying something new. I mean, I'm currently going into an artist block right now where I have no idea what to do. I'm looking around at 20 different projects that could be finished, but like my mind is going, wait, let's start something new. What's currently new right now? You know, it's it's, it's that constant loop. Yeah. I wonder, um, I wonder if like, and and I apologize if you are already doing this because I, uh, I don't know all of your media presence, but do you, do, do you sell prints? Yeah, I have. Oh, yeah, I well, I know you do. sell prints. That was a stupid question because I think I have. Uh... No, well, well, actually, <laughs> I, I took that. I took that original website down, and I'm redoing it right now. Like okay. my website is actually currently live right now. It's faderdesigns.com. Yeah, uh, where you can get prints on there. Um, as the stubborn artist in myself, it's never good enough. So I'm always adding and removing things. And right now, there's only a small selection of things that people can get prints of. Um, because I'm always going back there almost every other day just to revamp everything and, you know, delay the process even more, you know, it's, (laughs) uh, yeah, I I do have a website and I do have prints available, but it's constantly being worked on, but yeah, anybody can visit it. I haven't really advertised it yet. Do you sell originals on there too? Like, I'm not originals, but like the actual pieces. Uh, if they're available, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, usually what happens, especially in the last year, like I'll draw something up and I'll throw it on Instagram and somebody will want yeah. it within like 20 minutes and they'll like, yeah, yeah, have it. That's got to feel good. And I'll just <laughs> give it away. You know, I'll take some pictures of it and leave it for the website stuff. But like, I think a lot of my originals are out there, which is like, I think more honorable and like, it, it, it's a blessing to have that. Yeah. To have people want the originals or even any of my art, to be honest with you, it's, I, keep... it, it, I take that to heart. That, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a nice thing to be able to put something out there and within like a half hour, like, here's, here's my pain and sorrow. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's great. Um, <laughs> and I, well, I'm asking too, cause, uh, my wife is, she buys original art. Um, and I, and I, it's, it's like, it's not a source of an actual argument, but something will come in the mail and it'll be like eight inches by eight inches on wood. And I'll be like, Oh, this is nice. What was, how much was this? Oh, it was like $500. Like what? <laughs> Cause, what? Cause she'll get oh like, my God, I need and they're all, but they're all like small artists that she like finds on Instagram. And, uh, so I, think I need that, to revamp my prices then. <laughs> oh yeah. Talk to, talk to Erica. Talk seriously. She, uh, she'll tell you what she looks at. Cause I know she probably doesn't tell me half the prices of the crap that she gets. Oh yeah. That's, that's, I think that's the hardest part as an artist that's trying to sell stuff. Cause I want to be fair where people can afford it. Cause I know that literally nobody has money and I, we did, don't have money, especially on art. Nobody wants to pay thousands of dollars for something put on their wall. I mean, here in New York it's a little bit different because it, it's almost like everything is double the price then you know michigan prices it's kind of like just double that price like yeah so I'm... my my art out here is more expensive than somebody i would sell into michigan like yeah. if somebody's ordering you know outside of new york i'm going to cut that price down tremendously because i know that you know nobody's a, nobody has money like that and vice oh, versa I'm... i wouldn't buy anything that's a thousand dollars i'm gonna push so back on you so hard fair. i'm gonna push back so yeah. hard on that like so <laughs> this is something this is like one of the favorite pieces of knowledge that I've gotten from the, I've interviewed like 103 people and okay. um, there's this woman, Leslie Bailey, that uh, she was a year younger than me, went to high school with, I didn't even know her, but I interviewed her when I was in Indianapolis, literally right before COVID. And she runs a lifestyle magazine in Indianapolis and is a writer. And she talked about like the turning point of assigning a value to your work and being like, this is the big part here, being willing to uh, accept that some people aren't going to pay it, <laughs> right? Because that's the oh, hardest that's part. Too. That's true, too. And it's, it blew my mind because it's there's a level of like, you know, if you can sell anything, awesome. But if you can value yourself at the level where you're selling it for what it really can be worth, 
that's a whole other fucking yeah. thing. But that comes with possible rejection as well. So then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't want that. So I, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to push back on that and be like, I think, I think if you're selling stuff from a point where you're basing it off your own uh, experience with finances and income and you're relating it to like, oh, would I spend this? I don't know if that's a good place to come from because your experience is going to be different from every one of your customers. Maybe they would that's spend that. That's true. I, I could see that. That's true. <laughs> that's my I, only push. I guess I'm trying to find that happy medium. Yeah. I want to try to, I want to find that happy medium to where anybody can buy this. But at the same time, it's like, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. And that's the tough <laughs> price point where I was like, well, what oh, do yeah. I mark this painting at? Like, yeah, I don't have an answer. You know, I just even think this great one, advice. <laughs> this one's in New York. This one's 3000, but in, yeah. in Michigan, it's probably different. You know, I'm trying to say, well, somebody doesn't have to it. be. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have yeah, to be. Exactly. That, oh yeah. yeah we, that's, we got that's this. Make me go back into my website right after this and revamp <laughs> my prices. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I think there's there's a business side of that, right? To where like you can adjust them, and maybe you go for three months, and you if you see like a decline in overall, but maybe the like overall income is more, or maybe it's full decline, and you're like, okay, maybe I did go too high. But yeah, uh, I think those those are waters worth testing. I mean, I don't know your situation. Maybe they're not. Maybe you're like, no, dude, if I don't sell this, I can't eat today. (laughs) I don't know. But no, no, I mean. Well, I haven't really stepped into that um, that stage yet here in New York. I'm literally just opening up into where I'm at as far as New York City. It's 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 a playground of whatever you want to do. Yeah. So it's like as an artist, I'm not even sure exactly what I can do here. I, I've done a few handful of things that I've done personally myself, and they're big, big things. But like the art scene is so tremendously big out here that it's just how do I do this? Oh, how do yeah. I revamp my own business aspect of how to get clients and people to even see my name? That's well, that's where I'm at as an artist, as where I'm at right now is like people don't even know about me yet. How do I start there? Yeah, I and I, I can't even imagine what that's like there. I mean, I think of like media in general, like movies, TV shows, going back as far as you want anything that takes place in New York, there's, there's always an art gallery or so like it's, it's always been a huge place, um, for art. And so standing out there, just standing out in New York as an artist alone, I imagine is incredibly difficult, but then you add in the, the social media thing and trying to like, trying to be individual from everything else on social media as an artist. It's, it seems daunting. It really is. (laughs) I mean, social media is like a different genre of crowd in a way. Yeah. It, it helps in both aspects, but at the same time, like New York City is all about being in the now of the person and in the, in the events and the networking. And I came here, unfortunately, at the wrong time because right when I moved here, that's when the COVID happened and everything shut down and my whole plan just went to shit. Yeah. And it was like, okay, let's try to revamp my timeline of how to get these going because right immediately right before covid i have a few uh huge paintings um actually actually, you have the music in the city correct yeah a smaller version i did a larger version of that on hardboard and i have it in the famous cutting room which is a uh a huge music venue right in the middle of manhattan um i try to think outside of the box of how am i going to get my artwork into places and i wrote them a cover letter explaining oh this painting was done especially for you you know and he got back to me within a week he was like oh we feel so honored oh thank you so much and all this stuff and i right now i have two paintings in this amazing venue just right up on the walls um in front of everybody I have a price point on there and little um uh description on what it is and right when i did that covid happened so nobody goes to these venues now and it's like oh son of a bitch man i mean they're starting to go back into these live events where people are seeing it stuff like that so as i've heard from other artists it's really hard to be an artist here and which it is it's hard to do anything here to be honest with you but uh but i've also heard if you find your own way to do things here you can you can make it happen 
So that's like right now, that's my current mentality of just, I can make it happen. Yeah. So it's, it's every way, every day I'm kind of revamping my own way of just how can I do this? Today was hard. Let's do it different way tomorrow. Can we shift the lens a little? Um, I'm yeah. curious. So you, you've been in New York, you said like three and a half years, right? Um, yes. And you got a medical diagnosis shortly after arriving there, right? Yeah, that was, that was, it came out of nowhere actually. Cause I came to New York out of a whim of, of a job that was promised to me that never fulfilled itself. So it was like, I came in here. Oh, you can come here. Uh, actually, do you want to, um, do you remember, I, I don't, you can edit this out. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, um, Sebastian, Sebastian. the manager, Dwayne? I remember Dwayne. Yeah. He goes by Sebastian now. He's okay. one of the, uh, main people that brought me out here to, yeah, become a New Yorker basically. And he did give me a good push to come out here, but he had a lot of stuff promised for me. Gotcha. And when I got out here, it wasn't quite here. So now I'm literally going into New York blindly without knowing anything, no job, no nothing. So I immediately went back into the restaurant field and I found a great restaurant that just opened up. It was fine dining to everything. Um, but it, the whole multiple sclerosis thing didn't happen until the restaurant. And I thought it was just bad shoes, bad soles, walking on my feet all the time. And that literally came out of the blue. And it happened for like maybe four or five days straight. And I was like, what is going on? I changed shoes. I changed all this. Yeah. Kept getting worse and worse. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go see a doctor. And I went to a handful of doctors until I finally seen a neurologist. I was like, uh, this could be something. And I went to a neurologist uh, just down the street from where I worked. He was like, there's a 1% chance. But just in case, go down to NYU. And I was like, okay. And I went out to NYU and I would just like maybe four hours worth of like testing of emergency of everything. And they're like, we might have to admit you. And I was like, wait, what? What's going on? You know? And it was like, all right, well, this could be serious. You know, there's uh, a whole lot of stuff going on. And um, what were so some of the what were some of the triggers that they were like, we need to get you? Oh yeah, and actually, uh, for those listening, uh, for don't because that's the thing. Like when I find out I had this, I didn't even know myself what it was. Yeah. Um, for those uh, who don't know who it is, multi uh, what this is, multiple sclerosis is basically a neurological disorder. So basically, the way I see it is like, if you take like a wire and you have the protective coating around that wire, if you take that protective coating off and you have that live wire, stuff's going to go haywire, right? So that's basically what goes on within our nervous system. There's a protective coating yeah. around that. Um, part of my immune system is the theory behind it um, and why people get this. Um part of that coating starts to deteriorate and starts to like go away, leaving these open nerve endings. So after so many like MRIs and like I had a spinal tap and all these blood works and everything, they found out that I have lesions. Now lesions are technically these open nerve endings. I have two in my brain, one in my neck, three in my spine, Jeez. which all connect together. And I have it barely good based on other people that have it yeah um now what this does is send signals through your body telling it that it's feeling things that are not quite there w which are there like it started out with my feet like my feet were on fire they were pins and needles they were the feeling of frostbite they were the feeling of a sleep they were pain they were all this and that grew up my legs to my knees um so that's when i got admitted to nyu and they told me I had that. And I was like, oh, okay, now what is this? <laughs> and it was like, so that's when I started learning all about this and how it's actually going to affect me and stuff like that. Um, now, some of those symptoms actually went away, but they also brought new symptoms. Like, it affects everything in the nervous system. Like, there was, I think, two Thanksgivings ago where I was starting to go blind up here yeah. in my eye. And I feel like, it feels like arthritis in my hands, but it's not quite there. And as an artist, I'm like, oh, crap. You know, yeah. You know, the second I come to New York, everything just goes to shit. But I remember sitting in the um, 
in the hospital bed when seven doctors were they were like, oh, you have this. And I'm like, okay. Like, it didn't, like, quite affect me. I was like, okay, well, let's let's work with this. And, yeah. you know, and still to this day, like, I don't really get down on myself for what this is. I kind of use it as an advantage. Like, in fact, it's like, I'm, it's, it's, it's almost like a blessing in disguise because I'm healthier because of it. I eat tremendously well because of it. I exercise every day because of it. And everything just kind of like revamped my whole lifestyle because of that. Yeah. Like I don't smoke anymore. I don't drink beer. I don't drink hard liquor. Everything. I drink hot tea all day. It's like, I don't drink coffee anymore. It's like it revamped my whole lifestyle 180. So it's like, because of that, so I, I can't even imagine my life without it in a weird way. Yeah, that's interesting. And in, in, in almost in yeah, in almost in a strange way, it's like I'm a, almost feel like I want to just eat it. I want to be that one percent that just beats it because there is no cure for it. In yeah. fact, like there is like a potential that it could get worse, or there is a potential that like you know I, I haven't heard anything about how we can do to fix this. I mean, I do take medication and I do all of these healthy things because of it, but like, it's here, it's here to stay. Yeah. That's a, I, and that can come in a lot of different forms and severity, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So like some days, some days are good. It's like, and some days are really bad. Like it, like I said, like it pushes me to be healthier. Like I had my brother ask me like a few months ago, I was like, how can you have this? But you ride your bike all the time. He's like mind over matter. Basically I want to, be that one percent odd the odd man to say you know i can do this yeah i, I won't be able to do this i remember the doctor even my neurologist which is the best neurologist in new york city he was like you know i don't think you're going to be able to do these things and he's like yeah i can watch me <laughs> and then it, i kind of remind myself all the time it's like nobody really knows that i have it because i disguise it so well and you know come nine o'clock at night where i'm like laying down I'm like oh man you know yeah i have this here it is you know it's coming at me all at once where i just you know start feeling these things in my leg after a 10 mile bike ride i'm like maybe should have maybe just done five you know? can i can i narrow in on something that i'm curious about so yeah yeah that mentality of like like you can't do this and you're like yeah i can watch me um, that doesn't come from like just that moment, right? That's something that's in you for no. for your for your life at some point. What that comes you, from? Yeah, that <laughs> comes from a lifelong. That comes from almost like a lifelong case of almost serious depression. Okay, that comes from, you know, all through like earlier when I was talking about Detroit of being bullied, then coming to Sashball being bullied and. I've always felt like I was not like welcome. It, it, it's weird to say that because I had great friends in high school, like the Bridgewaters and Brent and Digano, like a whole crew of people that were my friends, but I always felt like I wasn't like good enough. Yeah. And I hit this dark point in my life, uh, which I left out right outside of like, I think it was like 10 years ago. It was like the darkest point of my life. And and now that I think about it, actually, which was uh, the Bridgewater's uh, who was this wedding party that night was actually like I left because I was just not in the right mindset. I just yeah. had to go seclude myself in silence and just cry the night away. I don't even know what was going on with me, but that triggered me to or that uh, just reword that 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 told me to do something different. And, you know, what I did was actually travel by myself. I was like, I have to change myself for the better. I need mm -hmm. clarity from what is going on with my life. And I went to Costa Rica for about a month and a half, did some volunteer work and did some traveling and just refound myself, basically, and came back to Michigan and just a whole new person, basically. It was just kind of like retelling myself i can do whatever i want if i have the right mindset to do it and it's like that's something that i like challenge with myself with almost every single day it's like i know that i can do these things don't let all of these negative bad things that mean nothing get in the way like you have your own like mindset to do whatever you want like nobody is in control of your happiness or sadness other than yourself 
especially in a tough city like this where everybody's angry for no reason it's kind of like well i'm still happy like i don't know what you guys are going through like i'm still happy i wonder i mean if you go prior to like the the event 10 years ago and even that i'm sure there was a culmination of things that led up to that but which there was yeah yeah there was i think just normal things of life of just not having the right job or money or just seeing so much you so much happiness where I'm sad. Like everybody was doing so good. And it was just like, what is going on with me? I don't even know. I think it was probably a previous breakup that I was going through as well. It was just, everything was all at once. Yeah. And to, even to right now to publicly apologize to Bridgewater for leaving his party. I was like, <laughs> I did, he still probably doesn't even know what happened. Like I was in a dark spot and I was like, I have to go. And I was like, I, had to go like self-admit myself to therapy. I was like, I have to talk to somebody. I really have to get this out. And I really have to like, but that's huge, right? Get myself better. Like, no, it is actually, that's... I think self-therapy is actually, you have to, everybody needs it. Well, I mean, where I'm getting, talk about this and where I'm thing. getting with that is the, I think it's important to recognize a, well, yeah, a recognize like being able to be like, Oh, I need to do something to get out of this that just having that mindset alone is i mean i would argue that's out of the norm right most people in that spot like they're stuck a lot of people i see it still even to this day like people still sulk and dwell on stuff that they're they can't or they don't know how to figure out how to fix it and it's like the first step is realizing that there is that problem like coming from experience, like growing up the shy, depressed person every other day, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm putting on a show in front of people. Yeah. You know, yes. Part of it is true happiness, but like underneath all this, I knew that I was depressed. I knew that I was sad, but one of the first steps is realizing that. And then I was like, I knew that I had to change that some way or another. And I found a way to you know, what do I like to do? Well, I like to help people. So I, you know, went down to Costa Rica and volunteered helping people because I knew that would make me feel better and but, to get me out of that mindset of I, I guess, always being sad. Yeah. And I'm, 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 I don't mean to push the, the point, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to think of like, where did the foundation come from of you having that mentality? Like, is that, were you constantly, like I'm, I'm guessing your mom, your stepdad, maybe encouraging people, and and uh, uh, I mean, did somebody tell you throughout your life that like you can kind of do whatever you want? You're. I think they've always done that. I think my mom was a big supporter of um, everything that I do. I was definitely the black sheep of the family growing up, where I was just like I was on my own, just doing my own thing. I didn't, you know resort to rules basically i'm the one that got in trouble when i was younger uh while my brother was actually the perfect child he still is bless him (laughs) but uh, she was definitely the big supporter but i think it all came from myself it was kind of like that self-realization of like just telling myself like i am my own biggest supporter i think i was relying on everybody else to support me and to say hey you're you're good enough, which they did. Everybody is a big fan of everything of me. Uh, I would hope so. And even if they're not, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but, but I think it wasn't at that time. It wasn't even listening to everybody else. Cause everybody else says the same thing. It's like, Oh, just get better. You're fine. Or you are a great artist or you are a great person. It's like, as soon as you know, they walk away, it's like, no, I'm not. Yeah. So it's like, I think that comes within yourself to say, you know what I am. And I can do whatever I want. And I think it's like, I think that multiplied maybe tenfold the second I arrived in New York City, because the city does give you that chance to be whatever you want. And nobody cares who you are here. You can do whatever you want. There's no rules. And there's a lot of support from strangers that you you don't even know. And that's like a big motivation boost to be literally whoever you want. And I think I'm still transitioning into being whatever I want. Yeah. I, I think I change that every other weekend, actually. I think you, but you, I, I, and I'll, I'll leave it alone with this, but I think you have a, an uncanny talent for hearing that voice in your head that says that stuff that a lot of us <laughs> block out or struggle I to find sometimes. To. Was, uh, 
<laughs> I go back on that. I, I don't know. I, I'm like I said, I, even with my art, I'm my own worst critic. But I like to remind myself in any given situation that it's up to me to make that happen. Yeah. No matter if it's good or bad or feelings or emotions or anything, I'm the only person that could change that. Nobody else. So if I want to become this big New York artist, nobody here is going to make that happen. They can help me along the way, but like I am that only motivator. Same with my, my thoughts. It's like coming from a, like even a previous breakup. It's kind of like, nobody's going to help me get over this. Only me. I can only do that. Nobody else. Yeah. Like I could talk to people, but like I have to break that wall to say, you know what? I'm fine. Let's, let's just move forward. And, you know, let's just keep my positivity. And I think underneath all the shyness and the, uh, you know, the depressing stuff that you just heard, you know, I think underneath of that, it's just like, yeah, just go with the flow and just be nice and everything will just come to me. And, you know, hopefully I can give that kindness to everybody else. And Amen. Stuff like that. That's a, that's one of the healthiest <laughs> I mean, mindsets I think I might have ever heard. Yeah, um, it's really as simple as that, really. I think we, as humans, and I think our mentality has been like desensitized in a way to where it's like, we make it harder than what it, what it should be. Yeah. It's really as simple as just like, we're all on the same team in a way. Um, what's what's your biggest motivating factor? Um, I think my biggest motivating factor is knowing that I've already seen the very worst. Nice. And I don't like that. Actually, I've seen the very worst of myself. I've seen the way I act when I'm the very worst, and I've seen financially the very worst. So I think that's a big motivator. And I think making the move to New York, that alone is the biggest motivator because it's so hard here. Yeah. Understatement is it's it's but it's easy if you have that mindset of just let's go, let's go, let's just go. And it's like I think that's the motivator, to be honest with yeah. you. It's just yeah. self self motivation of waking up at six thirty in the morning, just let's go. Yeah. Don't want to go back to a potential bad yeah, yeah. place that you were before. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Absolutely. Um, it's 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 knowing that you've already done that. Like why would yeah. you want to go back to that? <laughs> Um, I think that, I think I'm good. Are you, is there anything that I, I didn't ask that or talk about you wanted to mention? I don't know, actually. Yeah. Get that here. sheet out. What do we got? I know. I'm <laughs> looking at my sheet. I'm like, well, what if he asked this question? Uh, let me see. Oh, what? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, we got into art and I kind of skipped over your twenties and thirties, but I, I was very intrigued with what you're talking about. So. Well, let me see. We're talking about the, uh, yeah, no, I don't know, actually. I think right now as a person, like, um, yeah, that's just me. My motto is actually, I care. I really do. I just don't give a shit. <laughs> yes. I live by that, actually. <laughs> I like that. Um, well, Thank you. <laughs> I, I care that you were on the show today, and I appreciate you taking the oh, time out. Oh, an absolute blessing, man. I, I appreciate it. This is actually amazing. Thank you. You and I have lots in common My request is sent Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with John Bates. Uh, it was <laughs> it was so good talking to Bader. I felt so bad in the beginning. There's like a good 17 minutes of things going wrong. Um, right when I hit record... And he popped up on the Zoom. I knocked over an entire full glass of water all over my desk. And so I was like, hold on. <laughs> I had to clean that up. Get another glass of water so I could talk and not get a dry mouth. And then uh, then some audio issues. Uh, issues. That's how I talk now. Got issues. But it, it, I thought it was great, you know. And I really enjoyed this. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm doing a little instant reflection here. But I really enjoyed... Uh, kind of skipping around you know if you are a regular listener to the show you know I usually follow some sort of timeline but I really got caught up in um, Bader's art because it really I think is a foundational piece of who he is and able to kind of peek behind the curtain when we discuss that and you know then we got into his his MS diagnosis and I, I really enjoyed talking to him and I really uh, appreciate all the things he shared with me check out baderdesigns.com he has some of his artwork up there you can buy prints 
Um, you can buy originals sometimes. Uh, like he said, when he has originals, he sells out of them quickly. What a great problem to have, by the way, right? So if you want to go over to Bader Designs, you can see what he has done and some of his awesome artwork. You can also follow him on Instagram, Bader underscore designs, or follow his personal account, John underscore Bates underscore NYC. Um, all of my well wishes go out to Bader. What a great guy. Some really good advice in there. Wait for the Wednesday Instagram clip where I pull a quote because there's a lot of quotes to pull from. Um, yeah, and special thanks to everyone on the Patreon that continues supporting the show. If you want to support the show, please do. You can head over to patreon.com slash friendrequestpod and learn how to do that. It's only like a buck a month, guys. Literally. Come on. Uh, and special thanks to Talia Dalton for the theme song. Every week I love hearing it put together the episode and I get to hear that beautiful voice. Thank you guys so much, and I will talk to you on next week. Okay, bye-bye.